Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. Happy New Year. Thank you. Is it now? It is the new year. It now. is. Yes. Yes. It is. Yeah. It is not when we're recording this. Right. Because we can't let any magic uh, exist. <laughs> yes. We always have to pull the curtain back as soon as possible. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's still 2016 um, while we're recording this, but uh, hopefully it will be 2017. by Hopefully we make it. Although, I mean, that's like the, the undercurrent of every joke about 2016 yeah. sucking. Right. Yeah was the implication that it would be over at some point but and yeah. i mean 2016 will be over the calendar year will be over yeah. but we now are not like in a position where we have much to look forward to <laughs> yeah it reminds me of of what people were saying about the election like so many people were saying and if you'll pardon me i'm going to call bullshit on some stuff people were like oh, i just can't wait for this election to be over and then once it was over it's like oh okay you wanted the election to be over and your person to win i got it yeah, you don't actually I mean, the, give a shit about the election but every you know like all the polls said like so i think sure. that, i think people were safe at the time in saying that sure they weren't safe. I think they, were, they had a reason to feel safe. Yeah. I was me. probably one of them. I wanted the election to be over too because all signs, all signs were pointing not necessarily to my guy winning or my gal, whatever you want to yeah. say, winning, but to Donald Trump not winning. <laughs> yeah. Which would have been uh, great. Would have been happy about that. Would have been but preferable. Definitely been, preferable. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'd take Jill Stein uh, over him. Um, I don't know why that's... I don't know if that's an extreme position. I actually know nothing about Jill Stein. Um, yeah, I knew, I I knew too think. much about Gary Johnson, but I still voted for him. Um, okay. But you know what? One of the things that w- that people, you know, that, that characterized 2016 was uh, a number of... of uh, celebrity deaths and i feel and i don't even like saying celebrity death let's say uh, artist deaths okay um you know in some cases like for example a leonard cohen or a gene wilder they're up there in years it's not necessarily unexpected it is sad but it's not unexpected mm-hmm. whereas somebody like for example anton yelchin that's yeah genuinely tragic uh yeah. and then there is people that died young uh, of natural causes you know your david bowie your prince um Alan Rickman. Uh, and then, you know, by the time this goes up a few days ago, you got this horrible one, two punch and boy, like you, it's the kind of thing that honestly you, you only see in movies where some Carrie Fisher died and the next day her mother dies. Yeah. Undoubtedly the emotional strain of her daughter's death, like put a strain and she was older, but at the same time, yeah. but I remember when Carrie Fisher died, I said to Natalie, my wife, I was like, you know, her mom is still alive. Like this must be awful for her to, you know, to see your grown daughter die. And yeah, the next day, I guess it was. Um, so now obviously the, the, it is very sad on, on all fronts. Um, you know, um, and what I do like is that there's been a lot of celebration of Carrie Fisher as a writer mm-hmm. um, on Facebook, which is a lot of fun. I've never seen postcards from the edge, but I think I would like it uh, from what I've heard. Here's what does get to me, but maybe it shouldn't because the day that she passed away and, and everybody was, was tweeting about it and, and posting on Facebook, it didn't take long for this other thing to happen. And I don't know if I should be upset. Okay. So I'm going to ask you. Okay. For the first several hours, everything was like, Oh my gosh, Carrie Fisher died. How horrible. 
then a few, and that's what it was for, and it's still that, but if only a few hours later, then it was like, Carrie Fisher did complete her filming for episode eight. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't see that. And I, (laughs) I saw that from a number of different outlets posted by a number of different people. And here's why I'm torn. My first thought is, is that what, is that what is most important here that, well, thank God, you know, I mean, the real tragedy would have been <laughs> right, exactly. if she had died and then had to be recreated, you know, Peter Cushing style. Yeah. Um, now right, it's like, like someone left the office early for the weekend and you're like, wait, did he put in that order? It's yeah. like, Oh, thank God. Yeah, it's just, he got, he got that uh, email sent. Yeah. Okay. It's, <laughs> it, it seemed like a way to make it about us. And it seemed like a way of reasserting that Carrie Fisher's not as important as princess Leia. So that's one side. The other side is, if you'll pardon me, the only reason we know who she is is because she's an artist. She's a, and, and whether it be as a writer or as a, or as an actress. And when it comes right down to it, people know her from star Wars and, and this mm-hmm. was a big, uh, a big thing, you know? Uh, and the fact that she's now back as princess Leia or more specifically general, uh, Organa. Um, and so my, my first thought was like, come on guys, like within a few, within a few hours, everybody was saying like, well, wait, what impact does this have on episode eight? But then I thought, so, and I was condemning of that, but then I thought, well, wait, maybe that's not the worst instinct. It's not one I'm thrilled about, but when it comes right down to it, if one of our favorite artists, uh, musical artists died, mm-hmm. our, one of our first questions would be, it would be, oh, that's very sad. But one of our first questions would be, were they working on an album? Right. Is the album yeah. still going to come out? Cause that is the degree to which we are engaged with these people. And so I don't know. What do you think? Like which, which reaction do you think is, is the right one or at least more right? Um, I'm, I will generally lean toward giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, or at least I'll, I say that, I don't know if am I, all my actions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> bear that out, but that's who I'd like to see myself as. Um, so I think there is something to be said for, we'll get to see, we'll get to see her last work in full and see it as tribute to her where, you know, it won't be like Brandon Lee where they're using stunt doubles and crow, or I think like the last hunger games, I think had to get, had to rewrite scenes to be Woody Harrelson scenes. I think instead of that makes scenes, I think is something like that. Like it, like their last, contribution to our collective consciousness won't be compromised. Yeah. I, and I think there is something that like, there's something to be said for closure. Yeah. Uh, when you're mourning someone, um, and you'll never fully get it, especially when someone dies, uh, at, at 60, which is, um, very, very young, um, mm-hmm. much, much younger than used to be even yeah. when we were kids. Like, it's, uh, but, um, uh, my, where my, um, when my alarm goes off that I want to ask you okay. is, is this individuals saying, Oh good. She, she finished. Or were, was this outlets saying, here's our article about the filming of, cause I've seen way too much wow. of like, like, Hey, here's an interview I did with Carrie Fisher two years ago. And I'm like, that's the thing I get torn about because mm-hmm. part of it is like, you know, when, when say like Harris Whittles died, yeah. like, Mark Marin reposted his 
yeah. episode with him and I listened to it and I found that, uh, helpful. <clears throat> but I also know that part of it is like people who did interviews with Carrie Fisher two or three years ago yeah. can get a bunch of clicks today it, if they repost that. And yeah. I, that's the thing. I'm more torn about that thing than, than your thing actually, I think. Hmm. That's interesting. And you know what I did? That's not a thing that even occurred to me. I, and you know, here's the thing. So my friend, Will Gray was on more than one lesson many years ago. Uh, and then a couple years after his appearance, he was diagnosed with cancer and mm-hmm. then he died within a year. Um, and when he died, I recorded a tribute to him, uh, as my friend. And then I reposted the episode and I can speak for myself that in this case, it wasn't to get more clicks. It, not that he was remarkably well known or anything right. like that. It was more just, Hey, uh, we've, and I had been updating listeners on his condition as he got worse and worse. So I guess maybe it was more like, well, this, this is done now and here's who he was, you know, it could be a reminder of that. And so it could, it could come down to that, but undoubtedly if it's somebody like Carrie Fisher and if the thing's a few years old and you don't feel, you know, and if I'm even okay with Mark Marin doing it, cause it's a, somebody from the comedy world, someone he was able to sit down and probably right. have a pretty personal conversation with and probably felt a certain degree of connection there. I'm more okay with that Although because think, it could be a celebration of who that person is. Um, not to, not to get sidetracked, but with the Harris Willis thing, Pete Holmes also reposted his Harris Willis episode, which generally I prefer Mark Maron's show to uh, mm-hmm. front of the show, Pete Holmes show. Yeah. <laughs> but the time in Harris's life when Pete interviewed him, is, yeah. it makes for a much more insightful and harrowing. Yeah. Uh, because like, um, he interviewed Harris after he'd relapsed the first time. Yeah. So we like, we got much more insight into anyway, I'm getting sidetracked, but, yeah. um, I'm still sad about Harris Whittles. <laughs> yeah, part absolutely. Of um, anyway, uh, is that okay? So we're but the the upshot yeah. is that we're very sad about Carrie Fisher, and but we are also, like you mentioned, I, I will agree, uh, very happy that people are pointing to her her both her novels and her mem- memoirs. She yeah. wrote four novels, which were mostly autobiographical to begin with. And I think three memoirs, the most recent one was only recently published. Yeah. The princess diarist. And there's going to be, I believe there's a documentary made about Carrie Fisher's relationship with Debbie Reynolds and how close they were. And that's coming out in 2017. And now obviously there's this other element and I undoubtedly the documentarians are, uh, I'm sure they're heartbroken, but there has to be an element of look how close they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one yeah, literally couldn't live without the hopefully other. Hopefully, they'll play that uh, respectfully. Yeah, I hope so. Um, um, anyway, okay, let's change gears. Yes, indeed, and try to grab onto a little bit of the fleeting Christmas cheer by opening some presents from our listeners. Well, this one actually has nothing to do with. <laughs> this one's been in my bag for a few weeks because I forgot that I had it. Sorry, okay. Peter, because it starts Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, boy. So this is our friend, Peter. Um, uh, I say friend. He's a he's a listener. We met him at our meetup at the Tonga Hut. Oh, yes. Back, uh, our, our episode 500 meetup. This is this is Peter. Um, and he was, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he was uh, visiting Owensville, Missouri, um, and uh, sent us a, a postcard with the, the Gateway Arch. Nice. The... The, the tallest of the man-made monuments in the U.S. Um, that's true. Wait a minute. Taller than the Statue of Liberty, if you were. Oh, right. Okay, so <clears throat> it's a monument. Like, I mean, obviously, like Empire State Building, that's a right. functional build. Okay, yeah. yes. Okay, I got it. But this, yeah, if you... Um, 
if you go actually have you been to the arch i can't remember yeah um have you been you've been to the museum underneath yes it's a fantastic museum it's it's the museum of westward expansion so mm-hmm. it's about westward you know because all the you know lewis and clark and all those other expeditions pretty much embarked from st mm-hmm. louis like st louis is the last part to last place to like stock up on supplies yeah and then head on you know the oregon trail or whatever from there and so that's uh the museum is is terrific and but they it got all, dysentery and died obviously uh, yeah that's uh, yeah uh but there's a lot of uh great stuff about native american history and and uh, anyway all that stuff but there's also a little thing that's not part of that museum that is a diagram like a three-dimensional diagram of like famous monuments uh in the u.s and how they all are dwarfed by the st louis art so it's like yeah here's the statue of liberty the golden gate bridge even like mount rushmore or whatever yeah. and uh yeah i assume you've gone up into the arch right yeah a couple times yeah that is a uh i'm not a super claustrophobic person but when you're in that that's part, everyone, it's just like hey this is like a moving coffin yeah that's what everyone says it's not the fear of heights when you're up there it's the claustrophobia the way up there yeah. you have to get into this little like egg-shaped elevator that sits four people not comfortably yeah four people and it's really in, hot and it's hot and it also does a weird thing because the arch doesn't go straight up yeah and so the egg does this thing where it kind of tilts and then resettles and then tilts and then resettles so you're kind of like it's like a weirdly rocking it's a like bit a, a ferris wheel uh yeah yeah um anyway people should go up in the arch and thank you peter uh for for sending uh, he says such nice things about us yes um Um, happy thanksgiving to you as well peter (laughs) yeah i hope you had a happy happy thanksgiving in missouri i spent many thanksgiving and thanksgivings in missouri of course um and they were all all delightful so there's a thing here (laughs) there's a thing here where he says the podcast is consistently entertaining and insightful okay so that's a nice thing yeah but i misread it Uh and i thought instead of consistently i thought he said currently (laughs) 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 meaning it wasn't in the past and it might not be in the future so okay what do we have next we have something i always feel weird about opening something from a contributor as opposed to a listener but sarah was a listener first that's right um but sarah well i'll take the moment while i'm uh working on this crazy amount of duct tape she gives yeah come Um, on sarah sarah's doing a new series on the website that's right where she is uh, now back this wasn't our first list listener generated list right it was maybe our second it was our second our first one was uh characters characters. so our second listener generated list one, one we do every every year in the late summer early fall um, was on there was the 100 greatest movies of all time voted as voted on by our listeners and um sarah has seen some of them some of them she hasn't seen but over the course of 2017 she's going to be watching all 100 yeah um which averages out if you do the math to uh two a week uh more or less with, with a couple of breaks in there um so starting yeah for starting first week of january she's gonna have little capsule reviews two a week of of our top 100 movies starting with number 100 yes which is fight club which is the movie i don't even like right yeah that's and and we should say um we did that list again it was listener uh listener generated but uh, what I will say is that we had we didn't have as many listeners back then, and so there are some inclusions that are not necessarily bad movies, but I'm mystified that they're on there. But when you have a smaller sample size, certain movies uh, squeak through, uh, which I just discovered when I did the More Than One Lesson Top 50, which genuinely does not have that many listeners. But uh, a couple movies made it on there and made it pretty high, 
because I guess there was one an entire family that voted for it. Uh, <laughs> like there's only one animated film on that list and it is whisper of the heart, a film I had not heard of and have not seen. It's a studio Ghibli film, oh. but it's uh, yeah, it's the only animated film on there. Okay. And I, and I, and enough people submitted it that I was like, I don't know what this is. And it made it high into that top 50. So that's, that's something that can happen. Just, yeah. Word of warning, but it's going to be a fun, a fun series. Indeed. Now this is going to be the fun part. We get to open Christmas presents. Well, first off, Sarah, you always go, always start with the card. Yes. And Sarah always makes these beautifully hand like sewn yeah. cards. And we have our battleship pretension logo on the wall that she, that she sewed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's get into these presents because there's way too many of them. Yeah, I know. There appear to be two of everything, so hopefully okay. we'll be safe. All right, so I have here some socks. Really? <laughs> one of them has astronauts, one of them has Bigfoots. So you got to tell me which one you want. Astronauts uh, or Bigfoots? Bigfoots. Okay, I kind of wanted the Bigfoots. But oh, really? Well, you can, ha- you no, can no, have No, I'll it. take the astronauts. Okay. Because I like the color better, actually. Um, okay, so I have... I don't know what this is. It's some kind of spread from Fat Toad Farm. Oh, it's traditional goat's mi- goat's milk caramel vanilla bean. It's actually that's quite de- uh, that looks quite delicious. What do you have there, David? This is um, a <laughs> I don't know what this is. It's like eggnog chocolate. Ugh. No offense, Sarah, but come on. I don't know what that is. I feel like it's supposed to. It's called a winter warmer. I wonder if it's supposed to like go in the bottom of a cup. Oh my gosh, this is great. Something, and we also have uh, salted almond Mexican chocolate here. Okay, I think you can have both of those. Okay, well, so now this is... Okay, so this... Uh, here's another uh, caramel. <laughs> that, the first one is vanilla bean. This is just original. So this is... Oh my gosh. Here's the deal. So over the course of this year, <laughs> I lost 15 pounds. At, over Christmas... Uh, <laughs> I got. I gained like seven of them back. Since I got back, I've behaved myself and so three of those pounds dropped off so i officially i gained four pounds over six days uh and uh sarah this is not gonna help well anything you want to give me okay you're you're handed over okay so Uh, i guess that we've got a lot more uh, caramel going on well yeah what else you got there i've got vermont maple that actually sounds delicious all right okay what do you got there and the final one oh you're better at opening these than i am i can't find it uh Cinnamon. Oh. So, yeah, you, what, take, you take two and give me the other two. Okay, so, okay, hang on here. Because I was about to ask, what do, you, what do you use this with? Pair with okay. ice cream, baked brie, apple slices, Greek yogurt, or pancakes. These all sound delicious. So, David, okay, we've got four caramels here. You got your cinnamon, you got your Vermont maple, you've got original, and you've got vanilla bean. Which would you be most interested in? I, I want all of them, so tell me which ones you want. I would like to hold on to the cinnamon. Okay. And I'm intrigued by vanilla maple. Okay. But do you feel passionately about nope. about that? Nope. Okay. So you get vanilla bean. Okay. And original. And original. And, and this so you, is very exciting. And you don't want either the eggnog or the salted almond? Um, I'm going to say Lord No. Okay. All right. Look at me. I got more stuff. But you know what? I, I wound up with the Bigfoot socks. So you did get good. the Bigfoots on All the right. socks. So, so that was Sarah, fun. Thank, thank you, Sarah. So much. 
and uh merry christmas if <laughs> yes merry christmas and if any of you want to send us stuff our websites are our, our, our po box is on the website yeah and we could we'll talk about whatever you sent us for way longer than anyone yeah. but us is did you in. enjoy hearing this probably not but you <laughs> might if it were you so there you go <laughs> do you want to annoy your fellow listeners yeah there you go that's one way one way to do it but uh yeah thank you so much sarah uh for the card too as that always took some time all right all right so uh I, f- I forgot that we hadn't uh, done our sponsorship yet okay gotta do it this episode is brought to you by movie a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent international and classic films every day movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it that means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only 5.99 a month plus when you use their mobile apps you can download films to watch offline currently available on movie is the Lion King, not Lion, The Lion King, the Al Hirschfeld story. That actually looks very interesting to me. Jane Campion's The Piano, which I still oh. have not seen. Oh, you gotta take take this opportunity. It's a great movie. Well, David, we're recording right now. I can't. Okay. Uh, All right, I guess. And then, and then, lastly, uh, as I mentioned in the movie journal, Peter Masterson's A Trip to Bountiful, written by Horton Foote. Uh, that is a really wonderful film. Um, that is patient it's quiet it's deliberate um wonderful acting and just uh very subtly written it's by horton foot who wrote tender mercies and this definitely feels like that so if you enjoy great acting and just a very specific type of tone uh, i'd say check it out um and there's actually a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com, uh, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. I listen to, I, I use them every day. My TweakedAudio.com earbuds. In fact, today, now to update to the listener, in case you're wondering, David still has Hamilton fever. Oh boy. Uh, I've been listening to Hamilton like crazy and the tweaked audio.com earbuds have come in handy at work when I'm listening to Hamilton. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, you can use it to listen to Hamilton or anything else if you want. Uh, if you want to listen to any of, uh, the best albums of the year, I posted my list. I did see that. Yes. Uh, which is a tradition I started last year. Um, that I was uncertain about last year and it ended up getting like way more comments and clicks than a lot of our other stuff. Uh, so I post another list of my favorite albums of 2016. Um, I'll be curious to see what people think because this was the year that, uh, uh, very metal focused. So interesting. Um, this is something that you can do that. I literally cannot do. Uh-huh. I don't follow music. I okay. don't know. Like if I, if I am made aware of any album that I didn't know about before, it's often 10 to 15 years old and it's still, (laughs) that's new to me. Um, and so, you know, our friends like Jimmy Pardo and Pat Francis, and they, they will often say like, Oh, these are our favorite, you know, new albums of the year. And I just think like, where do you find the the time and the money to, well, I mean, as far as money, like I pay, for Spotify. That's Oh, okay. So I, right. I have a monthly thing that pay for Spotify. I get most albums that way. And then I'll buy some albums off of Bandcamp. Uh if I don't buy physical CDs, I'll right. sometimes buy records, but I don't have a working record player right now, unfortunately. Okay. Um but um I mostly use Spotify or I'll buy stuff on Bandcamp, either if it's not available on Spotify or mm-hmm. often as uh has been happening uh in recent weeks, if someone says, Hey, if you buy our thing on Bandcamp, so much money goes to this 
whatever charity. If it's right. a charity I support, then I'll buy. So I bought I bought the Pine Grove album, which I think you would like, um, called Cardinal that came out this year, and I bought a Full of Hell EP, which I don't think. What you if like. you What if you're interested in the album, but you're not interested in the charity? Well, you, I mean, Bandcamp is pay what you want, so you can download oh, okay. it for free. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I like to throw some money at them. Here's what I did okay. Uh, musically. Okay. So, all right. This is going to be oh, among, real, real the, among the nerdiest things I say all year. Before we do this, can okay. I say tweakedaudio.com is right. where the earbuds are. Uh, they're, they look great and sound great. If you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off um, of, of that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So here's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> all right. Listeners know, and you know, that in the 90s, I played all these uh, adventure games um, from sure. Sierra and LucasArts. Gabriel's and Night. It's Gabriel Knight. Oh, sorry. Sins of the Fathers. Um, Wait, Father or Fathers? Uh, Sins of the Fathers. Oh. So I, I think it's plural. Okay. Uh, I don't remember now. Uh, that's weird. So, um, so these games are such that, you know, you go from one setting to another and you have to explore it and find things that you can use elsewhere and all that kind of thing. Uh, and each setting has its own music and the nature of this music is it has to be evocative. It has to be distinct to that setting while also often incorporating a larger musical theme, but adapting it to that setting. And it also can't be too intrusive because you're not meant to be listening to the music. It's meant to underscore the mood that that scene, uh, uh, is trying to, to capture. And it's meant to be music that you can think to, uh, as you try to figure out what you're supposed mm-hmm. to do. So Sierra, especially, uh, don't get me wrong, like LucasArts did some good stuff, but Sierra often put out really, really good music for these uh, games, uh, Gabriel Knight especially. But then there was a game that I liked in the Quest for Glory series uh, called, uh, it was the fourth game, and it's one where... uh, the the mythology that you're engaging with uh, is is Russian in its nature, uh, and there's also a lot of H.P. Lovecraft in there. So there's uh, so the the composer first off he incorporates uh, some Ed, uh, Edvard Grieg into uh, his music. Um, he did uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King, and he did uh, Pierre Gint oh, and all that. Yeah. Anyway, so I always liked the music because it had a, a certain Russian folk quality to it. Um, and so I happened to notice the other day that <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'll understand if people want to skip the rest of this episode after I say, <laughs> I noticed that the composer had, uh, cause I've like Sierra music on Facebook. Um, I noticed that he had re, 
uh, remastered the music from that quest for glory game. And so I purchased that, uh, on Bandcamp and, uh, paid what I wanted and I paid $15. Oh. And so, uh, and I listened and sure enough, it didn't, it wasn't this MIDI type music. It was, uh, uh, orchestral now and it sounded really good and i liked it a lot and i chose to uh and i emailed him and i just said hey uh i was a big fan of this when i was a kid and i appreciate you understanding that this was a big deal to for some people and choosing to remaster it and all that and he said oh thanks for saying all these nice things and he said hey i'm sending you a link to this new thing that i did and it's just like an it's it's like this hour and 20 minute album of non uh, of instrumental music mm-hmm. that is just sort of mood music and that sort of thing. And so I down gave it to me for free, which was nice. So I've been listening to that and it's really good music to write to again. Like this is not meant to be intrusive. It's just meant to sort yeah. of underscore thinking and I figuring really, things out. I really want to see your top 10 albums of the year. <laughs> well, I think it'll probably be this album 10 times. Cause I don't know <laughs> if I've purchased any other albums. Um, you like yeah. lemonade. The visual uh, album. I, yes, I like the visual part of it. I don't oh. think I really care for the music that much. Oh, okay. I don't dislike it, but it's just, it, it would never be right. in the front of my brain. Um, I don't think I could tell you if even, even if art, uh, artists that I like released an album this year, I don't remember. Well, you know, Leonard Cohen did Leonard Cohen did. I don't remember the name. Uh, Nick cave did. Okay. He's on my list. All right. Um, David Bowie, of course. Yeah, I don't know. I, Radiohead. Yeah. Do you like Radiohead? I forget. Sort of. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Sort of. No, it's what I what I've heard. It's like, yeah, that's really good. I, but nothing. I don't think. I, I don't think I'd ever seek it out. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. That was a super long story to say. That's who I am musically, uh-huh. and you're a very different type. Yeah, of, and you can find uh, my top ten at battleshipretention.com. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Sorry for that long story. Now it's the very beginning of a new year. Uh, we're saying goodbye to a year that we're eager to say goodbye to like, yeah. like, like many people, uh, we're, we're starting fresh in 2017. Yes. We're rebooting. Indeed. Uh, by which I mean, we're talking about reboots. Sure. Now I don't have a very long list. Actually, I found, um, before we get into this. Oh, okay. I wanted to lead with this question. I'm going to throw it to you. Okay. Is it the question that it might be the question that I was going to probably too? What is the difference between a reboot and a remake? Here is my personal criteria. Okay. Uh, was that it has to be a remake essentially of something that was a franchise. Yeah. So there has to have been more than one in the franchise to begin with. And then this is speculation on my part because you can never say for sure, but it has to be something that I get the impression that the studio who's rebooting it was intending another franchise. To yes. start. This wasn't meant to be a one-off, even though sometimes they will be, you know, yeah. we'll talk about like the 2014 RoboCop remake. Sure. We're not going to get a sequel to that, but that is a, that is a reboot. They rebooted yeah. RoboCop and then went nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but we're like, what doesn't count is something like oceans 11, which became a franchise. Right. After being, after the first film, was a remake. That's yes. not a, cause that was a, not a reboot cause oceans 11 was not a franchise to begin with. So that's where I draw the line. That is, that is pretty much, uh, mine as well, which, because as I was going through and making this list, I found myself thinking like, man, there's a lot of franchises on here. And that's when I realized, yes, that's what it is. Yeah. Cause a remake 
is just a one-off thing. And most of these, not all of them, but most of these are based on uh, existing properties. It could be, it could be a TV show. It could be a comic book or whatever. Oh, see, not, I all, not all of them, but a lot of them. I should have included TV shows that made new franchises. They, yeah. That's, and you know what? That, I would have, even, that would have expanded my list quite a bit, actually. And I actually didn't, I, what I mean to say is I didn't incorporate TV shows, but like stuff that was based on a TV show is based on something that already existed. And so, yeah. So like 21 jump street is a reboot of the 21 jump street story, right? I guess so. Except it was just, there was never a movie made of 21. Jump so that's street. what I'm saying. Does, does that count? If they, if there was a TV series of one thing and they said, let's reboot this as a movie series, that's a good does point. That count as a reboot. Yeah. These days <clears throat> there's not that much difference between the two. That's a good, that's a yeah. good question. Um, um but yeah, but here's, I, oh, go ahead. so I, yeah, a reboot, I, I view it as, okay, we're going along. We've made maybe two or three movies or many, in some cases, many, many more. Um, we're going through and we're going to, uh, but maybe they're not doing very well or after the third or fourth one, they're not doing very well. So let's go back and start all over again, as opposed to a remake, which is we've got this one thing. Now let's capitalize on that and make another one. Yeah. The element of we're going along now let's go back and go along again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you see it with, um, horror franchises the texas chainsaw massacre was rebooted and i think there were technically two right in that uh, series I'm, there was the reboot and then there was the beginning which well was then a, there's and what is texas chainsaw 3d is that part of that or is that another reboot is that i feel like it's not there's also texas chainsaw massacre the, what was it called the first generation the that really weird one with uh, matthew mcconaughey and um yeah renee zellweger have you ever seen that no i haven't strange yeah um so yeah, that's, that's, that's a, uh, yeah, you see a lot of it in horror. They, there was also an attempt to reboot nightmare on Elm street, but yeah. I don't think they're, that ever got a second one. Yeah. Uh, so I have here, I've separated them into hard reboots and soft reboots. Okay. Well, say. before you get into that, okay. Cause I think what you're talking about soft reboots is stuff that I didn't, that I found, especially in this, in our modern day where there's so much currency in, connected universes mm-hmm. it seems like studios are hesitant to do hard reboots because yep. i got right off the top of my head i got three here star trek x-men planet of the apes these are all things yep. that went back and started new series but they're not hard reboots because all of these franchises take place in the same universe yeah um as their originals. So I yeah. like, I, I, is that what you're considering a soft reboot? Yes. Uh, they will often have, uh, usually there is one character that is connecting these things. You'll find that in Jurassic world, um, where there is, yeah, there is only one. They make reference to John Hammond, but BD Wong shows up in Jurassic world oh, cool. and that's it. You know, there's no Sam Neill. There's no Jeff Goldblum. It's it's a whole different tone. It's a different park. They're clearly going to make another one, um, but they needed some connector. And so officially it is is a sequel. You know, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a prequel. Yeah. But at the same time, it's clear that this is essentially a reboot. But uh, but yeah, I think it could be. the The idea of the soft reboot did seem to come along around the time of the shared universe thing. Yeah. Um, and also because of the reboots, like I mentioned, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Nightmare on Elm Street and Planet of the Apes. Yeah. 
those are reboots that failed. You know, there was the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes yeah. that, you know, was, I'm sure, I'm sure Fox, yeah, Fox would have loved that to be a new yeah. franchise. It wasn't, uh, cause it flamed out, but, uh, m- maybe that's part of, uh, I guess they're just seeing the, the, the viability of people, you know, basically you're getting the new fans and the old fans at the same time. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's that. And you definitely get that with something like, star trek where by incorporating spock and incorporating like this time element which is what you got with x-men and planet of the apes like anytime there's no you said star trek sorry um yeah which is why i think sci-fi can lend itself to uh the soft reboot easier than than other things Um, yeah yeah i guess you're not going to have that in horror unless you do like a series like let's go back to the beginning type of right type of prequel yeah um, so yeah but uh yeah we, we mentioned we did we mentioned horror franchises that rebooted we didn't talk about halloween because that did turn into a second honest to god franchise there yes were, there were two i don't think there'll be any more from what i understand yeah i don't think so but there were two and then i did see a nightmare on elm street and it was really interesting because it was a big deal in the horror community that, Oh my gosh, they're redoing this and casting Jackie Earl Haley is probably a good call. Um, and then I saw it. And while I do recognize that the original nightmare on Elm street was not nearly the jokey thing that, uh, that these would become, uh, the remake just seemed so dour and just so particularly ugly and uninspired. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing is the original, while not quite as great as I would like it to be, it still felt inspired. The idea of somebody attacking your dreams, even the concept was inspired. Um, but yeah, this, the, the new one, you can see why it didn't go anywhere because hmm. there's really nowhere else to go. This is not a Freddy Krueger that we want to see again. Um, no. it was very, so, you know, it wound up being a mere remake instead <laughs> of, instead of a, a full on reboot. Yeah. And there's another, there's another horror one that wound up being a mere remake, re, mere remake. I think, unfortunately, most critics and viewers didn't agree with me, but I liked the poltergeist remake. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm not saying I necessarily need to see uh, a sequel, but, um, if it means getting, uh, you know, Sam Rockwell and Rosemary DeWitt, DeWitt uh, again, they're, yeah. they're fantastic as is, um, Jared Harris and Jane Adams. Yeah. Uh, you've got a great cast having a great time in the Voltergeist remake. And it's, it was a bummer to me that people didn't, uh, uh, but it's almost like the opposite of what you're talking about. The Nightmare on Elm Street remake being like, so dour, the Poltergeist remake was maybe it was too goofy. Maybe it was too fun. Like yeah. maybe it was too Sam Rockwell for sure, people. Sure. Um, Hey, we've got uh, a, uh, an attic full of clowns. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, although it, it has, it actually has some, it works as a counterpart in terms of its, uh, themes to the original because the original was about a family moving up. They just moved into this brand new, yeah. Uh, suburban neighborhood and this is about a family where sam rockwell's character has lost his job and they're moving yeah. from their nicer suburban neighborhood yeah. into an older neighborhood and an older house it it's an interesting an interesting way it works with the first one which i think honestly um may speak to something bigger here is not merely financially but artistically what makes for a good reboot you know, I, the same could be said of a remake, but why do some reboots work again, artistically and others don't? And I would say 
in what you're talking about, having not seen the new Poltergeist, you're talking about like we've adapted it to what it things are now. Yeah, yeah, and made it relevant. You know, Poltergeist was very relevant to its time, mm-hmm. uh, and the new one could also be relevant to its time. Um, and I'm trying to think of other examples of that. Um, hang on one second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, well, oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking of, um, I guess I, I keep coming back to ones that, that didn't, that didn't work. Uh, you know, um, now here's one that's somewhere in between that I think it's in between in a lot of ways. It's both more grim and more goofy. Okay. And it both worked and didn't. Okay. Piranha 3d. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, in some ways I think that is, uh, like, let's just make this for, um, an age. Um, you know, it's got the girls gone wild stuff yeah. and it's like, let's make this for a, a, a different kind of teenager. You know, yeah. there's a different kind of social interaction, um, that, uh, I think emphasizes what's what I'm looking for. Um, uh, camp. No, I mean, I'm saying the way that teenagers interact, it emphasizes nominal connections, abstract connections while de-emphasizing personal connections. Okay. And so that's why this is a movie about people coming together and there's a lot of, you know, um, there's the girls gone wild thing. There's a lot of handheld type of stuff, but there's also, part of what grosses me out so much about piranha is that it's, it's not just the piranha eating people. Mm-hmm. It's the way that people disregard one another's safety. Yeah. Um, that I find com- particularly upsetting. Uh, I will never watch that movie again. Yeah. I know it's like a fun, goofy Did you time like for that a lot movie? of people. I think it accomplished what it set out to accomplish, mm. but I, again, I don't think I'll ever watch it, watch it again. I felt like I had post-traumatic stress disorder when that, when that sequence was over. It's a pretty rough sequence. Yeah. Doesn't somebody get like their scalp ripped yeah, off? They get scalped. Yeah. Ooh, that's pretty rough. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, so the idea of, of adapting, um, your, your reboot to the times, um, or, or just sensibilities, changing sensibilities. I would say, uh, an example of that is Batman begins, um, where, you know, the, the eighties, uh, I mean, the first Batman came at the tail end of the eighties, but there's a certain degree of excess that one would expect and, and highly stylized stylization and that, and that sort of thing. And then when you saw blockbusters really come into their own from a special effects standpoint in the mid nineties, then you had stuff like Batman forever and Batman yeah. and Robin, uh, where it because, was like, it was ridiculous. Tim Burton's Batman 1989, you know, compared to Christopher Nolan does seem excessive and, and it definitely, yeah. it has some camp, but it was probably darker than the average blockbuster sure. at the time. And it does seem like it has some, uh, general anxiety, but I mean, uh, it's sort of a, a leftover from the seventies and eighties of, um, uh, the way that America's urban centers had been abandoned yeah. by the upper middle class and yeah. were, um, full of crime, you yeah. know, uh, this was, I guess before Rudy Giuliani and his broken windows policy and like yeah. cleaning, cleaning things up and, uh, you know, well, I don't want to get into politics of ways that I might approve or disapprove of right. the tactics, but like that, I think that's, 
there is some darkness to, to yeah. that. Um, you could see Travis Bickle existing in the 1989 Gotham City. <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, whereas Batman Begins is the first post-9-11 Batman. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think there are there's definitely um, a lot of... There's more paranoia, I think, in yeah. that. And also, you've got... Um, uh, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Scarecrow's plan, which is a kind of like, you know, modern dirty bomb, like terrorism yeah. warfare type of thing, you know, chemical warfare. That's, well, that's, and he operates fear. on fear. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what another word for fear is terror. And, um, yeah, and I do think that there's an element of, I, I'm about to use the term post 9 11 world. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> That's what it is. It's, I don't know I, why you're sorry. Well, there was, I forget who it was. There's some comedian who sang, like, uh, how, how tired he was of the term post 9 11. And he's like, well, yeah, everything is that. You know, yeah, everything. I guess. But you, but you and I know what I mean when I right. say that, which is it's something that is influenced by that. And the you're idea. You're not talking about Todd Glass's bit about how the airlines use 9 11 as an excuse for everything awful they do oh, now. <laughs> no. And if you question, it you're like it's like wait why do i have to pay to check my bag oh 9-11 it's like what does that do oh what are you for 9-11 <laughs> um but the idea of of superhero movies being whimsical which admittedly you you got with the the spider-man movies um but the idea of a, of of like a, a goofy and fun superhero movie it's not merely post 9-11 but it's also now we're full on into the Iraq war. People aren't really happy with this. Um, and if you'll pardon me, there's this idea of like, Oh, I wish, you know, I I wish things were not so much clear cut, but I could we could really go for like a a hero right now, but one that exists in the morally complex world that we exist in. And so then you get Batman begins as opposed to, either the Tim Burton or the, and certainly the Joel Schumacher Batman films. And so yeah. that's a reboot that people were very excited for. Um, not to mention, so that's just political, sociopolitically, but also artistically between Batman and Robin and Batman begins. Yes. You got so many other, so many more, uh, superhero movies that just changed the way it, 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 uh, they were viewed specifically the X-Men movies. I'd say changed it a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. But I think, even without those other superhero movies, you've got the lingering taste of Batman and Robin, which yeah. I think, you know, most people felt had gone, uh, too far. Yeah. And so I think to, yeah, to a lot of people that just the trailers for Batman no. begins, uh, seemed fresh and exciting even before they knew that it was about fear and terror and paranoia. Well, and let's, let's, uh, let's examine that a little bit, which is why in some cases it makes sense why there's some, there's a, a reboot, which is it's been so long. Uh, but then in other cases, like say Spider-Man, there actually wasn't that much time between Spider-Man three and amazing Spider-Man five years, five years, yeah. which is not that long. Um, and there, there definitely seems to be an element of, Okay, we've gone too far. Uh, in one, re- in Spider Man Three is a ridiculous movie in a lot of ways, yeah. and I think p- people are like okay, the the goofy whimsy, whimsy of Sam Raimi in the first and second film now that has taken over, and now we need something that's the opposite of that. And the yeah. dark and gritty reboot is is kind of a cliche now. Fantastic Four is another example. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, so it was only five years between Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man, but mm-hmm. how long will it be between Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man Homecoming? Like three years? Uh, Yeah, probably about that. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Now, yeah. And that's, that's a little bit different simply because now we have Spider-Man being brought into this other thing that people seem to want. Like, I, I genuinely think based on, even though Amazing Spider-Man 2 didn't do that well, if it was not if it was not possible for Marvel to bring Spider-Man into the Avengers world, um, I think Sony would have continued that series, especially because they had set up so much stuff with the Sinister Six. And I think they would have, even though people didn't really like Amazing Spider-Man 2, mm-hmm. I think they still could have made that work because people liked Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. And including yeah. me, I liked him as well. Um, and so I think they would have kept that going. But because, you know... Sony and Marvel had the opportunity to bring a very popular character into an even more popular film franchise. I think yeah. no one was going to pass that up. Um, and it's, and it's a, a definite reimagining of the character by having him be so young, um, which I find really interesting. So that's one. So I think the, the Spider-Man three to amazing Spider-Man reboot. I think that definitely was seen as a necessity by viewers and by the, the company itself. Whereas this was one where viewers probably would have gone along with this Sony Spider-Man series for a while. But when they, when faced with this other opportunity, everyone's going to jump on that. Um, so, uh, okay, let's see here. I, I'm trying to think, um, I, cause I don't want this to be all superhero stuff, but it very easily could most, be most of it's going to be, I because think because you've got like, yeah, now you've got Superman being reboot, uh, rebooted twice in less than 10 years, right? You got Superman returns, uh, which could be seen as I'd say that's a soft reboot. Oh, right, right. And then man of steel was a hard reboot. Yeah, you're right. Um, but man of steel seems like it's the, it's the umpteenth generation copy of Batman yeah. begins. It has none of the actual motivation for what made, even though I don't love Batman begins, I should, you know, for listeners who aren't loyal listeners, you should know, I don't love it as much as Tyler does. Yes. But, uh, I think we both don't like man of steel at all. That's true. Um, I forgot that you'd seen it. Yeah. I I saw man of steel. Okay. Um, I did not see Dawn of justice, uh, for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think of stuff outside of that, of that genre. And I'm not like coming up like everything, is sci-fi or action stuff that gets rebooted is are these genre properties even software you know we've had now how many examples of there are there of this and we just talked about the movie journal okay the born series underwent a soft reboot yeah which failed and then they went back and continued the initial series how often does that happen well because that was a sort of soft reboot that does allow someone to return back to the original property and i can't think of it happening yeah really that's the only example i can think of um yeah that's really interesting with the possible exception of uh of uh didn't they bring sean connery back uh to play james bond after um either george lazenby or Uh, or roger moore yeah but not it was there was a rights thing so that's right it was unofficial yeah it's because um never say never again is not an ion production so yeah. officially never say never again is not a james bond movie even though sean connery plays james bond in yeah. it and it's based on thunderball yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah that's even weirder is that it brought back the initial actor yeah and remade a movie that he was in the first time 
Like imagine if Matt Damon came back and they just remade the Born Identity. Yeah. It's like at least if you can't in the Franco Patente role. <laughs> like how weird would that be? That'd be very strange. Yes, um, uh, probably better than Jason Bourne. Probably um, yes. Um, oh, I had one on the tip of my tongue. I forgot what it was. Oh well, I'm surprised. Okay, so and we can get back to these in a moment, but I'm I'm curious. I'm surprised that there are some things they have not rebooted much. uh, And it seems like they would have like Die Hard. It seems like they would have rebooted Die Hard by now. Yeah. As long as Bruce Willis is willing to be John McClane, I guess they can still make them. Do you know the bit of trivia? I'm sure you do know. A lot of people know that the fifth Die Hard movie is the first Die Hard movie that was written to be a Die Hard movie. Like Die Hard is based on a novel. And then the other three, um, were all like existing scripts or, uh, or Die Hard 2 was also based on a a novel, which is weird. Um, existing scripts that people said like, let's make a Die Hard movie out of this, but not, it wasn't until a good day to die hard. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the fifth one. Yes. Uh, that someone sat down and wrote a John McClane script and it got turned into a Die Hard movie. And that's the one they came up with. Apparently. Um, (laughs) I never saw, I haven't seen any past, I saw the third uh, one. Vengeance. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't seen the Justin Long one or the Jai Courtney one. And I heard the, I heard the fourth one is actually pretty good, but the fifth oh, one is okay. atrocious. Um, okay. but, uh, yeah, I think that's the thing as long I, as we watched Die Hard. I didn't talk about it on the movie journal, but I watched Die Hard on, okay. uh, on Christmas Eve. How is that? It's, it's one, it's maybe the best action movie of all time. And it's one of the best movies ever made. It's so much fun to watch. There's not a single moment in it that is not a blast. I love that movie so much. And I noticed things that I didn't, I've seen. Oh, that's it, good. I've seen it easily a hundred times over a yeah. hundred times. It's without competition. The movie I've seen more than any other, t- any other movie in my life. And I still notice things I didn't notice before. Like the one guy who, one of the, one of the, they still call them terrorists. Even the credits, they're terrorists, even yeah. though they're not terrorists, they're, they're thieves. But one of the terrorists, quote unquote, uh, who's waiting in the lobby for the SWAT guys to come up and he grabs a crunch bar mm-hmm. and takes a bite of it. I didn't realize he eats more than one candy bar because when it comes back, he's holding, I think it's a whatchamacallit. <laughs> so it's a crunch bar the first time, but I didn't yeah. realize, like I assumed he was still eating the same bar, but like it, like then when the camera comes back to him, he's moved on to a whatchamacallit or something, something like that. I can't remember what it is. Uh, it's, That's nice. Yeah, it's uh, fun stuff that I, that I didn't notice. Um, and I also didn't notice... Um, that uh, um, Bonnie Bedelia's shirt comes increasingly undone over the course of the movie to where hmm. like her, like, you know, bra and chest are essentially exposed by the end. Hmm. Never noticed that. Yeah. I don't think I did. I, you know, it's, it's frustrating. I don't think of her character enough in that film. You know, obviously I think of John McClane, I think of Hans Gruber. Um, and then uh, frankly, so many of the more active, violent male characters, but she has a part to play there yeah, and she, she does a great job. But even before, like, uh, she, she's the one who steps up after Takagi is killed. She yeah. steps up and she's like, all right, we got a pregnant woman. We need a couch. We need yeah. you to take us to the bathroom in groups. Like she's like organizing and she becomes the spokesman for the yeah. hostages. Yeah. And I think honestly, that's, uh, to go back to our discussion of Sully, I think that's one of the things that makes Die Hard so good is that you realize there, there are a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. People talk about John McClane and they talk about Hans Gruber, but there are a lot of characters yeah, there's Al that are Powell. given. Yeah. There's, which is an unfortunate name. Uh, um, um, there's Argyle, of course. Yeah. There's uh, agent Johnson, special agent Johnson. Yeah. 
uh fbi guys uh, yeah there's yeah paul gleason who's i forget his character's name but he has the two best lines in the movie yeah uh one of them is we're gonna need some new fbi guys i guess yeah and the other one is god i hope that's not a hostage <laughs> when hans Gruber's body <laughs> yeah. is falling out of the, of the window uh, and then of course there's um john glover i forget his character's name the newsman I think that's William no, Atherton. William Atherton. Yes. yes. I always get them confused. Um, John Glover is in Scrooge, which I watched. Yes. Uh, yes. That's why I'm getting. And I of course, uh, Gremlins too, the new bunch. Um, yeah. Where he's Donald Trump, essentially. Yes. Um, uh, yes. William Atherton, who they managed to find a room for him in the sequel as well. I always, I always forget that he's on the plane with Bonnie Bedelia. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> because it's a plot point because the sh- he has a restraining order against her because she clocked him in the face at the end of the uh, first movie and they end up on the same plane and it's like, uh, he's a little scaredy cat. I would say any sequel choice that involves the words end up and same is, uh, <laughs> probably not great. I feel like that's probably lazy writing. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Yeah. But so, we yeah. can't, no, I wanted to, no, I just want to talk about Scrooge as well, but we, we can't go off on, on but Scrooge. It, it does feel like they should have rebooted Die Hard, but Die they Hard will. is so associated with John McClane that in let, until the day that Bruce Willis either dies or doesn't want to do it anymore, like they're not rebooting that series in the same way. I think probably, I think it's the same with Terminator. As long as Arnold Schwarzenegger is, can, is willing to be a part of it, they're never going to reboot it fully. They Terminator salvation was, kind of that sort of it more just seemed like this weird like they were just sort of testing the waters with this other thing um but it was still very much locked into the existing series um but uh so i'm trying to think of um of non-genre films and it's it's tough to do i'm drawing a blank like even something like the pink panther yes it's a comedy but it's a crime comedy yeah, no. that's true. I didn't even think about the Pink Panther because yeah, there are there are probably some comedy series uh, other than that that have been. I mean, Ghostbusters, but there's a, there's a genre element to that as well. Um, and that's a soft reboot, right? No, that is a hard reboot. It's a hard reboot. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, there's the Karate Kid, which they've rebooted more than once, right? One with Hilary Swank, and then one with uh, Jaden Smith. I think, uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, karate kid. Well, the, the Jaden Smith one, yes, is a full on reboot. Whereas Mr. Miyagi is in both. Oh, uh, he's, he's in he's, the next karate yes. kid with Hillary, Hillary Swank. I yes. never saw it. I, I could just Nor did it. I, I guess I can picture the cover and he's yeah. on the cover. Yeah. And I guess along those lines, I would say Creed is a soft reboot. Um, I, I think some people looked at it that way. Yeah. I don't know, uh, how to, how to look at it. Um, I haven't seen it, um, yeah. but I, I've I've never known how to how to approach it. To me, because Rocky plays a part, and it's a big part, and he—I mean, spoilers to everybody. So the character gets sick with cancer in the film, oh. and he's really he's being set up to die, but he doesn't. In fact, he's he's being treated, and he's probably going to turn out okay. Um, if he had died and it's like, okay, torch officially passed, definitely a soft reboot. But the fact that he's still around means now there's still a definite connection to that other, to the other Rocky movies. And so this is, this still falls to me into sequel, uh, territory, um, which admittedly soft reboots are sequels, but this one I think remains primarily a sequel, 
Whereas something like X-Men First Class, I think an argument can be made that that is a definite soft reboot. Um, yeah, which I didn't know when I saw it. Oh, really? I thought it was a hard reboot. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I saw Rebecca Romaine and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that one, uh, that one's going to be, that one's going to remain uh, this in this weird territory because Hugh Jackman is going to yeah. continue being in them I, to my knowledge yeah yeah well is he he's not done after logan you know what actually he might be but that's uh, he was in first class briefly and then he was in Maybe. days of future past and in apocalypse um so um, i think i don't know oh i had one now i forgot what were we just oh, talking I'm sorry. about what were we talking about before oh okay here's my theory <laughs> okay this is a uh, maybe controversial theory Here's the thing that I think anyone it is on the surface of the sequel. Anyone would consider it a sequel, but I think in essence, in spirit, it's a reboot, at least a soft reboot. And that's star Wars episode seven, the force awakens. Oh, because it is, you know what? I guess you're right. <laughs> it <laughs> is, is a the sequel. first time I've heard this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're being sarcastic, I but am. I mean like people aren't talking about it as a reboot. Oh, some people are. Okay, maybe they are. Uh, okay. I'm not following those conversations. Yeah. Um, but it kind of had to be a reboot, right? Because yeah. it's kind of like the Batman Begins thing. Everyone's last, the last taste in everyone's mouth was bad. Yes. We can, you know, argue the merits of the prequels. I don't think there are many. Yeah. Um, but some people will defend them, and some people, just like some people, will defend Batman and Robin. But, um, uh, sorry, I didn't realize it was such a common. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't. Uh, I, and I, I guess view. I guess you assumed. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, and it's not a thing that's being said that much. But the people that are saying it are people that, you know, like for example, I, I bring up Red Letter Media, and they're very much associated with Star Wars because of those Plinkett reviews. And so, anytime a new Star Wars movie comes out, like they very much sort of have to have an opinion about it. It's almost like more than one lesson when any kind of Christian movie makes uh-huh. any kind of money. People send in emails saying, Hey, what did you think of this? And it's like, ah, it wasn't even on my radar. I don't care. <laughs> but, um, but the, uh, but they were, they were big on the force awakens. And then with a little bit of time, they actually started to sound not totally sour on it. They still like a lot of stuff, but they, they definitely have fallen firmly in the camp of soft reboot instead of full on sequel. And to, because it's a remake, Right. In so many ways. Yeah. The story is so similar to a new hope. Um, and I think for me, uh, you know, as I said, so many soft reboots are in fact sequels, um, that it's hard for me to view them purely as, as any kind of reboot because, you know, Han Solo is in the force awakens as is Leia, as is briefly Luke, you know, these characters, they may not be the leads, but they are still there. They're still bridging these gaps. And while Han Solo is killed in the next film, Leia is going to be in it. And it sounds like Luke is going to be in it. And so that means their character arcs will continue. And so that they may not be the leads, but they will, will still be major characters. And so in that regard, I have a hard time seeing it as a full on reboot, except the story elements. I mean, it's just so, it's so similar in so many ways, uh, including just the, the, uh, another death star basically. Yeah. Um, and another Darth Vader type, Never mind the fact that he is actively trying to be like Darth Vader. He still is playing that part. Um, 
<clears throat> okay. To, I want to move on to one that I thought of as a reboot. But I'm then looking at the original, I think this is actually just a remake that turned into a franchise. Okay. Let me start with this question. Okay. Did Boris Karloff play Imhotep the Mummy more than once? Or was I, I don't actually know. I don't think he did, as far as I can tell. Okay. So that means that Stephen Summers the Mummy from 99, oh, sure, right, yeah. is, not a, is not a reboot, which is how I thought of it. Right. It's a remake that then turned into a franchise, had two sequels and a spinoff. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely but true. But I thought of it as a reboot, but by our rules that we set out at the top, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not because the Mummy original was not a franchise. There was just the one. Yeah, I think so. I it's certainly you know, the the Mummy has uh as a character has factored into like, you know, various Hammer films uh and that sort of thing. So, uh so yeah, you know what though? Here's there's going to be another mummy film starring Tom Cruise. I don't remember who's directing that. Neither um, do I. And I don't know. And I didn't watch the trailer. I don't know what tone they're trying to strike. Oh, you didn't watch that trailer? No. You didn't hear about that? No. What is it? Um, someone, uh, either the studio or or IMAX or someone, accidentally posted a trailer with the um, effects track missing. Okay. And so it's like weird, like music stings, and then you've got like. Tom Cruise like screaming, but with no other sound. It's so <laughs> weird. It's very odd. Is that available online? Can I, I find that? I'm, I'm, I'm sure someone saved it. Okay. It, uh, it was taken down, but I'm sure, I'm sure someone saved it. Uh, That's it, like that, uh, that star Wars thing with no music at the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. I'll have to look for that. Um, yeah, it's, Okay, so that brings me... This mummy thing is, is a good example. It's being uh, uh, directed by screenwriter Alex Kurtzman, who is, does not have as much of a directing mm. history, but he did make People Like Us, which I think you saw and disliked, right? Yes. Okay. And I wanted to like that, with given the people involved. Um, so, okay... All right, so okay, I know that we should probably uh, move towards towards ending, but when you have a character, when you have the mummy, uh-huh. so you've got this Karloff uh, version, then you have you know Christopher Lee played the mummy in uh, one of these Hammer horror movies that I own, uh, and then you have no, well, let me ask you, okay, is in the Christopher Lee one, is it a mummy or is it Imhotep? It is a mummy. Because I think that's what makes the Stephen Summers one a remake is that, um, mm. what's his name? Uh, Oded Fair, I think. No, Oded Fair is the, the, the guy who's helping them. Right. This Who is played it the Arnold I can't remember. something, but he is playing Imhotep, which is the character that Cor- yes. Karloff yes. played. Um, what is that guy's name? Damn it. That's frustrating. Anyway, uh, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's the case. Do we know who the mummy is in the, in this new one? I'm, I'm just looking at the cast list and there's no one named Demotep. Okay. So I'm not sure if it's, yeah. So I think maybe that's okay. That's interesting. And so I guess when you, when you go back to a pre-existing property, Arnold Vosloo, Vosloo, damn it. I was going to, uh, you know what? I thought it was Vosloo, but then I thought, Oh wait, no, that's the guy from 12 Angry Men. No, that's, that's George Voskovec. Oh. Um, but, uh, when you go back to some, let's say Frankenstein, 
Well, Frankenstein is based on, uh, you know, or Dracula, something like that, based on a novel. Um, so when you make a Frankenstein movie and then you make another one a few years later and then another one, and let's say some of them have sequels, some of them don't, are they reboots or is it just we're returning back to this original material? And if that's the case, then why is why is that any different than the Fantastic Four? Mm, yeah, that's a, you know. that's a good question. So is the Fantastic Four from 2015 a reboot or is it a new adaptation of the comics i think it's a reboot part of that is because the studio needed to make it to hold on to the rights right and so from that (laughs) that's kind of the standard thing yes from from that pragmatic standpoint it's a reboot from the studio standpoint because they want this to be successful right yeah i think so and I definitely. Okay. So I think, I think, uh, to go back to something we were talking about earlier, I think there does have to be an element as opposed to a remake. A remake is we're going to capitalize on previous success. A reboot is we are no longer happy with what this is. So let's Mm -hmm. restart it. And so along those lines, that's not a situation with something like Frankenstein. That's absolutely the case with fantastic four because rise of the, there were only two of them, but rise of the silver surfer was not viewed as particularly good. They made money, but fans of the, of the comic weren't really happy with them. Mm-hmm. Also, it didn't fit with what comic book movies were becoming. So they couldn't keep making fantastic four movies that way, that campy goofy type of way. So it's like, okay, we got to do the quote unquote gritty reboot. And so it comes with, what exists is no longer satisfying. We could keep it going, but it, it nobody wants that anymore. So we got to give them something they do want as opposed to a remake is how can we, you know, do something like uh, the Manchurian candidate, which is admittedly, it's still one movie, but I guess let's stick with Frankenstein. It's like, this is an immortal story and everybody loves it. So let's, and it's recognizable. So let's capitalize on that and let's make another Frankenstein movie. Where I, and I don't think anybody was saying like, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, nobody really liked that one. So let's just reboot <laughs> this. Nobody said that, you know? Right. So I think there has to be an element in the world of reboots, an element to this is getting a little tired. This is getting, getting a little unsatisfied uh, and unsatisfying to the viewers. Um, and maybe it's not making as much money as it could have. I'm not sure. But, um, but I think in the larger conversation about reboots, I think that's, that has to be, that has to play a role. Um, and the other thing that I want to say is when you said uh, the idea of, of the mummy being a reboot, well, we certainly didn't use the term then. Uh, oh, it's like, yeah, it's like prequel. Like Prequel was not a thing I heard until Phantom Menace. Yeah. You know? Reboot only came about probably in the last few years. Yeah. Like no one talks about, is it Temple of Doom is technically a prequel, right? It takes yeah. place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Am, yeah. I, am I right in that? Yes. Yeah. But no one calls it No one called it that. People still call it a sequel, even though they people would say it's a sequel, but it takes place beforehand. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, I'm glad we found a shorter way to say that. Yes, indeed. Because for all the talking I do about Temple of Doom, it saved saved me years of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, now, uh, okay, we should wrap up, but it is hard to think of non like quote unquote genre stuff. Like, I mean, thank God, knock on wood, but thank God. But why hasn't uh, Paramount tried to remake the Godfather. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, and an argument could be made that that is also a genre. That's a gangster genre. Yeah, now it's right. And it's here. You know what? Here's why they would remake it 
because the originals aren't enough of a gangster movie. They're a family drama of gangsters. Okay. I could see them remaking it. Uh, sorry, you know, rebooting it, um, but trying to be more violent and more badass uh, in certain ways. So like Gangster Squad, which I didn't see. No, thank you. That no is, one saw it. It is not very good. I remember when, when well, I said, I remember like, it was a long time ago, when La La Land came out a few weeks ago, I kept reading like, it's the third pairing of Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And I was like, wait, Crazy Stupid Love? What's the other one? Yeah. Because everyone forgot Gangster Squad. Yeah, I forgot she was in that. And I, I rewatched... Uh, Cause I just, I, I rewatched, um, uh, place me on the pines. So then I, I remember, uh, Josh Fadum was in this video, uh, for I think funny or diet or college humor. I don't remember. And it's called, uh, uh, Ryan Gosling's acting range. Uh-huh. Have you seen that? No. Where it's not Josh. He's, he's this other character, but, uh, it's this actor standing out on a farm and there's like a little fence and he's, it's a commercial. He's playing Ryan Gosling. There's this little fenced in area and goes, he goes, Hey, how you doing? I'm Ryan Gosling. This is my acting range. And he says, so you can come here and learn all of these, uh, all these things. And it's a very small, limited yeah. range. And he says, look at all these props you can use, uh, to hide behind. <laughs> and so like, so you see him like messing with cigarettes and toothpicks and stuff like that. And, uh, oh, there's, great. there's a line in, um, in, uh, uh, gangster squad where Ryan Gosling's character is saying like, it's like, well, you got, we all got to die something. And so they, they appropriate that line and he's like picking his teeth and he goes, Hey kid, you want a toothpick? Like he says in drive. And mm-hmm. he's like, he goes, no, I don't want a toothpick. And then I think he, he then puts a cigarette out on the kid's forehead and then he goes, oh, we all got to pick our teeth for something. And it's, <laughs> it is delightful. And, uh, and I think Ryan Gosling is a very good actor. And I think he has more range than people give him credit for. It's still but, a funny joke. But when you watch this thing, yeah. it's really, really funny. Um, okay. Uh, we'll end with this unless okay. we have more for the list. I might have a uh, question for you. This but... has nothing to do with Rebe- re- reboots. Just a question. Okay. All right. Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. Gangster Squad. La La Land. Okay. On the other hand, you got Adventureland, American Ultra, Cafe Society. Who is America's next Tracy and Hepburn? Is it Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone or is it Jesse Eisenberg and Kirsten, Kirsten Stewart? I know where I'm leaning, but uh, I want to know where you and the listeners are leaning. I would say probably the two undeniable movie stars who look like movie stars. Oh, so not the two I said, not the two you said No. Okay. So we, yeah, now we're on different teams, which is always fun. Listeners like when we're, when we disagree about stuff. So this will be a comment fodder way in. Who's the next Tracy and Hepburn Gosling stone, Eisenberg Stewart, or some other thing we haven't thought of. Do we, I feel like there aren't enough. Oh, hang on. Here's an episode emerging. Okay. Uh, teams or pairings it could be jack lemon and walter Matthau. sure sure it could be tracy and hepburn um and maybe not necessarily comedy teams because they're just because walter Matthau existed independent of jack lemon and then they got paired together and suddenly it's like oh this needs to happen again um and i feel like it's a thing that uh doesn't really happen that often but you know, for a while, I was like, oh, Corey Heyman, Corey Feldman, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, not just because they're both we could also Corey. Like, talk about teams, both acting and directing teams that never, like, we're talking about reboots that didn't take off. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some where it's like, Will Ferrell and Bruce McCullough in Dick are so <laughs> sure. great that I would have watched yeah. more movies of them oh, pairing yeah. up. And I've always thought this is not actors, this is director, actor. 
Um, but Inner Space, great movie. Mm-hmm. Joe Dante and Martin Short seem like such a great fit. Yes. Why aren't there a half dozen Joe Dante Martin Short movies? Yes. You need somebody who can capture that the manic quality of Joe Dante, and that is absolutely Martin Short. Um, but yeah, uh, so one last thing. I guess I just mentioned Fantastic Four as only having two movies in their franchise before they rebooted it. So let me ask you about Blair Witch. Blair Witch is a soft reboot because it's a sequel. It's like the brother of Heather uh, seeking her out. But for all intents and purposes, it is a reboot. Um, But at the same time, there, there was one sequel to the Blair Witch Project, which was Blair Witch Book of Shadows. Mm-hmm. It's not even stylistically the same. I mean, it's it's a it's a vague sequel at best. So this was hardly a franchise. So an argument could be made that this is actually a remake, but by con- but it's a sequel remake, which I guess you could say is a re- a reboot. Um, okay. So would you consider Blair Witch to be a, a reboot? And if so, hard or soft? Well, it's definitely not a hard reboot because, okay. yeah, the character is Heather's younger brother. So right. It's the same universe. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I, I just think of it. I just thought of it as a sequel. Okay. And I wonder if the difference is with, like, the other stuff we talked about, like, Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, X-Men, they found a way to go back in time. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But still keep it in the same universe and i guess maybe that's why i don't initially like apparently everyone else did think of the force awakens as a as as an obvious reboot because it chronologically it's uh it's a sequel and so that's just where my mind goes maybe that's just me as an old old man well i'm used to reboots and honestly that's how i thought about creed and then so many other people said oh it's a soft reboot and i remember thinking like what are you talking about rocky's in it apollo creed's wife is in it right felicia rashad and just and everyone's making reference to these things that happened before. I recognize that they're going a different direction with the story, but that's not necessarily a reboot. But then when people just talk about the story beats and mm-hmm. like, all right, okay, I gotcha. You're making sense. Um, I will throw this out there as one last one. Okay. And this is more of a question because this is a prequel. Is it who's Harry Crumb? <laughs> we'll get you next time um no uh prometheus is oh. Prome- it is a prequel is it a but it yeah, came it's out it's a soft reboot i think it's a soft reboot but it's yeah but i think of a soft reboot as just being a prequel i guess yeah i guess so and then i don't want to cut corners i want to say like reboot or no okay reboot. um and then i saw the trailer for alien covenant did you see the that trailer mm-hmm I only watch trailers if they're before a movie I'm seeing okay. or if someone forgets to include the effects track. Oh, that's, that was this one. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and it was before a movie I was seeing, which was weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I saw that trailer real quick, and, you know, it's fun to see the alien again um, in, like, a serious way, not fighting the predator. Um, but, honestly, this it's, it looked like just a standard alien movie. Who gives a shit? Huh. You know, and I and I like the Alien series, and I like what it used to be. I like, and we said this, you know, many times during our commentary that I like that with every new Alien movie, they brought in a new talent to put his specific stamp on it. You know, 
James Cameron and, and Jean-Pierre Genet are very different filmmakers. And yet somehow there's something about this series that brings out something in both of them and they are united and yet so notably different. So with alien, so with Prometheus, you went back to Ridley Scott and I think he's the one directing alien covenant. Um, I don't actually know if that's true now that I say it. Sorry, everybody. I've got my phone more okay. ready than yours. Okay. So please look that up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going back to the original director twice in a row now. Um, and a guy who, by the way, has gotten worse, uh, as a director since the first alien. Um, and it just feels like by, by going back to Ridley Scott twice in a row, now it feels like a function of nostalgia more than actually trying to recapture what the alien series was. Um, and it just bothers me a lot. Um, but I guess because it's the director it started with, it's him like reclaiming it. I guess so. Like you're just saying this because you don't like the movies, right? But what if, what if we went back and James Cameron made two Terminator prequels? I don't think I'd be complaining, but I think I'm a bigger James Cameron fan than you are. So maybe that's a, a bad example, but I'd be, I haven't seen a James Cameron or I haven't seen, I haven't seen a Terminator movie since Terminator three rise of the machines. Yeah. Um, but I'd be excited to see uh, a, a prequel uh, or a series of prequels. If James Cameron were uh, returning to the helm, I would be more curious about that because James Cameron was a, cre- was a creative force behind the writing of it. Okay. Whereas, uh, and don't get me wrong. I, I don't mean to take anything away from Ridley Scott directing alien. Cause he did some amazing things, but Dan O'Bannon right. was such a force behind it that even before, uh, Ridley Scott said, we got to get HR Giger. Dan O'Bannon was saying that. Oh, okay. So again, Ridley Scott is the one who realized just how, just how to make this film. Like he's the one that championed like, no, the space jockey set needs to be a full on set. It needs to be the size of a warehouse. That's how this is going to work. So he, he did some amazing things. Don't get me wrong, but he kicked things off. But one of the things that I like about the alien series, the first four films is that each one does have the particular stamp of the director and each director adds to the, the overall tone of this, you know, with, with James Cameron, of course he was a a writer as well, but you deepen the character of Ripley. He introduced the queen and just this other element of the life cycle with David Fincher. You add a very particular type of nihilism and fatalism. Um, and then with Jean-Pierre Genet, you have a not whimsical, but you definitely have a, a more fanciful, uh, expressionistic. It's, It's fantastical. Yeah. And grotesque. Yeah which is a good way to describe the alien series. But when you look, but you don't, you wouldn't get that from either David Fincher or James Cameron. You might get it a little bit from Ridley Scott, but like fantastical, I would not describe it as that, but he managed to incorporate his sensibility enough that he expanded a little bit. And now it can be considered that. And by going back to Ridley Scott, it's like, yes, he is the original guy that he was the original director and he did some amazing things. And I'm an, I, I, am a firm, uh, auteurist, but at the same time, he didn't design the alien. He did not create the original story. And Walter Hill also played a big role. David, uh, David Geiler played a big role in, in bringing alien to the screen. Um, and so it just feels like by going back to him, you are, you're sort of saying he was the original creator of this. And it's like, no, these four directors, not to mention these countless writers, the lead actress, 
they all made Alien what it is culturally, not just him. Is there anyone in my ignorance? Are there any characters in Alien Covenant from Prometheus? Uh, um, um, shoot. Why am I not remembering Michael Fassbender? Oh, there he is. Yeah, I'm seeing it now. Um, James Franco's in this movie? Oh, I don't actually know that. That's what IMGb says. Okay, that's interesting. That's a um, turnoff, I gotta say. But there are. That happened at a certain point. James Franco's no movie is a turnoff. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, when I saw, uh, I, I watched what is it, eleven twenty two sixty three, um, and he's in that, and he's he's very good, but it's it, yeah, he does a very good job, but at the same time, yeah, it's been a while since his presence in a film has been for me an asset. Yeah, um, I mean, he's great in one hundred twenty seven hours, and it'd be it'd be neat to see him get back to that. Yeah, uh, uh, he was good in Goat, but it's a an extended cameo. Yeah, which I didn't see. Um, but yeah, it's, it'd be neat to see him go back to doing something like just purely dramatic instead of like riffing on his own image, like in uh, why him or, um, mm-hmm. he is very good in this is the end, but again, it's him mm-hmm. playing a version of himself. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Sorry. We went <laughs> like when I have, uh, when I have a party and the party's over, I like to have a Milky way. <laughs> what was that? When he insists there's the one Milky way bar and he insisted it was his and he bought it <laughs> to right. have when the party was over. <laughs> um, Clearly bullshit. Uh, that's a funny movie. So, um, okay. All so right. listeners feel free to, uh, weigh in on what the difference between reboot and remake is. You can, if you want, but more importantly, weigh in on who's the new Tracy and Hubbard. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's what I really want to know. Uh, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow uh, us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey pretension and you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Now your other podcast, Tyler is about, uh, well, it's called more than one lesson. Mm-hmm. And our most recent episode, or it's a mini-sode, is about uh, Around the World in 80 Days, which is largely considered one of the worst, if not the worst, Best Picture winner. Um, so bad, in fact, that it is, it's, it is often forgotten. Like People don't forget Crash. They don't forget English Patient or any of these other films. And a movie being ultimately forgettable might actually be the worst <laughs> thing that you can say about right. it. Uh, but... And indeed, I, I didn't like it that much, but we do try to contextualize it because I think it's a movie that is very important for its time and what it represented, um, you know, what movies could do that no other medium could do. So, um, so yeah, that's available at morethanonelesson.com. And then I, I don't remember... I'm sure I've mentioned this, but uh, this season of Survivor is over. Uh, Jen and I recorded... Um, it, we did it like six days late, okay. uh, but we recorded about the finale and, and what we thought about the season and all that sort of thing. That's available at battleship retention. And that's called worth playing for. Indeed. Uh, my other show is called, Hey, watch this. It's not back yet. Uh, I can still use a new logo or maybe I'll just ask Tyler to remove, oh, right. to remove with Paul and David. Yeah. Or maybe just, I'll Paul just cross and- out his name. It's <laughs> funny actually. Um, but, uh, Hey, watch this. We'll be back, uh, sometime in the new year. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 